Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships. So we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that He gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. Well, men, you got your turn first in the series, It Ain't Working. Um, we're gonna co- we covered marriage, we covered the church, culture, our 18-year anniversary, and this morning we're going to talk about women, but don't worry, whether you're a man or a woman, single, married, young or old, um, everything we say today is going to apply to you. My name is Stephanie James, and I am the Women's Ministry Director here at MVF, and I am married to Pastor Mike, and you know that women don't do many things alone. We even are matching. We have flowers. Um, We don't even go to the bathroom sometimes alone. So you're going to be hearing from two ladies this morning. I am Angie Headley, and I'm married to Pastor Don. I do most of the graphic design and branding around here, and I'm also responsible for the app and the website. Um, We are super excited to be here today, um, but we are a little nervous, so bear with us. We're going to share a little bit of our stories and um, some things that we're still learning um, while we're going through hard times. Um, But I remember as a young mama seeing magazine covers like these, there seemed to be this belief that women could do it all and that even we could do it better than, than men. We were motivated by competition and success. And I was super challenged by world, this worldview, and it was kind of rough out there, and I think it still is. There's these cultural winds that kind of blow us back and forth, this definition of what we should be. And man, has it been destructive. It's caused division between women. It's caused heartache, anxiety, feeling um, of not being enough, and this belief that we won't measure up if we don't climb and be that definition of what a woman should be. And this destructive comparison seeps in, right ladies? And studies tell us that one in four women are struggling with anxiety and depression today. In this room, one out of four of us, girls it ain't working. This world's definition of what a woman should be is not God's plan. It's not what he defines us as. In the very first pages of God's word, men were created, men and women, by God. Genesis 1:27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We are told in those first verses that we are image bearers of God. That's our identity. Done. We can go home, right? Uh, We're children of God. We're not what we wear, our jobs or our diagnoses, what family we're from, whether we're a stay-at-home mom or we work outside the home, whether we homeschool, our size or what Instagram tells about us. We are God's children made in his image. So why is it so darn hard? Why do we get blown around and continue to search and rise up to this definition? And why do we bow down to these idols of our culture? 
Well, I think the answer comes pretty quickly in God's word. Chapter three in Genesis. Eve is quickly deceived by the serpent and gives in to temptation. A temptation that you and I have as well. And there's this desire to have the wisdom of God, to have our own identity, to rule our own lives. Friends, it started in the garden. Adam and Eve gave in to this desire, and we've been searching and looking in this broken world to define ourselves ever since. Now, even though our world changes and expectations change, our God, he never changes. And we can trust him, and we can trust the Bible. And we can live knowing that he will never change. James 1.17 says, Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. But yet, we still sometimes live, as we live in this broken world, we really struggle. And we base our identity on sometimes a sense of ourselves rather than what God has created us to be. Now, growing up, I was the quiet one. Those of you who know me go, oh, that's not far stretch. And out of protection, my mom would talk for me. Now, my mom was amazing, and I loved her so much and admired her for her extrovertness. Not a word, but we're going to go with it. And sometimes I wondered if maybe there was something wrong with me because I wasn't like her. I had a few close friends. She had rooms full of close friends. My early battle and destructive patterns of comparison started at a really early age. And the older I got, the more I struggled with self-confidence, and specifically speaking in front of others. Now, when I compared myself to girls and women as I got older around me, I didn't measure up. Teachers didn't ask me to speak in class because they didn't want to make me. And I didn't really get invited to do group projects because I didn't add a lot to the conversation. I was the quiet one with no self-confidence. And that's what I believed myself to be. I leaned into that. I worked it um, for many years. That definition robbed me. It robbed me of taking risks, meeting people, learning, experiencing new things. I was not anchored in Jesus. I didn't find my identity in him, but I didn't know who he was. I rooted myself in a lie and a feeling. Now, when I accepted Jesus as my savior at 16, I grew very slowly, Um, and the Holy Spirit worked in my life, and the lies that I did believe began to be broken. And I would love, I would love to say that I still don't struggle with those lies, but I am up here speaking to you. That's fairly miraculous. And it's that continuous work of the Holy Spirit working in my life, reading the Bible, learning who God is, an image, and learning who I am in light of that, an image bearer of God. As women, I feel like we experience pressure from all sides trying to tell us who we are. It is easy to let the world try to define us. And if you manage to push past that, it's even easier to let the hard things you've experienced or that you live with on a daily basis define who you are. Um, now, Don and I have been sweethearts since we were in the eighth grade. We both grew up in the church and we loved going to each other's youth groups and activities. And we considered ourselves good Christian kids. 
But about midway through our junior year of high school, when we were 17 and 18, I got pregnant. We got married that summer, and that fall, I gave birth to our stillborn baby boy just two weeks before his due date. It wasn't even a year after that that I was diagnosed with lupus. Now, there's a super long story between all of, all of those events, so if it would ever help or benefit you or your family to know more, we are open books and would love to share with you. Um, for a long season, intense grief, guilt, and self-hatred defined me because I felt that our son's death was my fault and that it was punishment for our sin. Um, and spoiler alert, it was not. After I got sick, I added lupus as another thing that defined me, and I let those things become my identity. I wasted years bargaining with God, trying to convince him that it would be so much more effective for him that I would be more effective for him if he would at least heal me, and what a miracle it would be, and how it would glorify his name. But if I'm being honest, I wasn't praying those things for God's glory. I was praying them for my own comfort. I wasn't asking God to use me despite my shortcomings. I was trying to steamroll his plan and disguise it as a holy request. Now, all of those things shaped me into who I am today. And I'm so glad I never lost faith in Jesus. I knew he was there. But I also wasn't taking advantage of the power that lay in having my identity in Christ. I couldn't take my eyes off of myself long enough and my own grief and pain. I wasn't sure where my identity lay, only that it was bruised and battered and definitely not rooted in my relationship with Jesus. If we aren't firmly rooted in Christ, we bargain, we feel sorry for ourselves, we turn to other people or things to fill the need that we think we have. And I think as women especially, we try to solve the problem ourselves, amen? <laughs> um, I can say from experience, it ain't working. And we're in good company. Even the Apostle Paul tried to convince God three times to take away the mysterious thorn in his flesh, whatever it was. And God answered back three times, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Now that is a beautiful, deep promise from God. Author Abigail Dodds wrote, sometimes the glory God gets from our lack far exceeds what he gets from our fullness. But what does it look like in real life when our lives are derailed by unexpected, sometimes soul-crushing events? What do we do when our identity is shaken and threatened by the hard things? How do we survive while we're waiting for God's power to work in our weakness? We happen to have a little list for you. Um, hopefully you can find one in your chair on the chair near you. Um, you can also go to your app and under the Sundays tab, um, if you click on message notes, you can also fill it out there. The first thing to do um, is to immerse yourself in the Word of God. Romans 15.4 assures us that the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. So seriously, pick up your Bible and open it, and then do it the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and keep doing it. If you don't know where to go, we have some suggestions for you. Um, first, we would recommend turning to the Psalms. Um, there are lots of Psalms in there that are called Psalms of Lament, and these are Psalms uh, where the writer cries out to God in times of deep distress and despair. 
And then realize that you're not the first person to feel this way and that it is okay to tell God how you feel. Um, we've listed some of them on your sheet to get you going if you want to look at the Psalms of Lament. Another thing that you can do is research God's promises. Look in the concordance in the back of your Bible or find a concordance online and look up the word promise. Read the scriptures associated with the word and write them out and meditate on them. If you're more of a story person, read the story of Joseph in Genesis chapters 37 through 50 and study how he handled all of the adversity that God allowed in his life. Whatever you do, ask yourself what it reveals about the character of God and what it means to you in your situation. Run the race keeping your eyes on Jesus. So when hard things come, and unfortunately know they will, it's easy to compare our lives to others. And believe me, I'm still a recovering comparison addict. We ask the questions, why me? Why does she get the easier path? Why can't I have that marriage? We are to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and stay in our own lane, not comparing our lives to the lives of others. Hebrews 12, one through two says, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. And we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Now, have you ever walked or run looking to the side or driven your car looking out the side window? What direction do you go? You go, you drift to the side you're looking at. Sometimes when we're in difficult times, we look to the other lane, the lane that looks faster, better, maybe even easier, and we miss what he has for us. We miss growth in him. We miss understanding and purpose that is before us. So when times get hard, don't get distracted by the other runners. Look to the one who completed the race in perfection. He is who we should be keeping our eyes on and our focus on. Now, this is a lifelong process. It doesn't happen like that. It's a long journey. But when we know and can see the finish line, our eternity with Jesus, it does help us get through that race with endurance. The next one, recognize your trials as a process of refinement. Now, admittedly, this part stinks. Um, before gold is refined, any impurities are invisible from the outside. So the goldsmith has to intentionally heat the gold in a container called a crucible to over 2,000 degrees to liquefy it. Then it's poured into this cone-shaped mold um, where the pure metal sinks to the bottom and the impurities float to the top. After it cools and solidifies, it's dumped out and the impurities are easily chipped away, leaving a bead of pure gold at the tip. 1 Peter 1.7 says that your trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than gold. Nobody wants to be held over the fire, but that's what brings out the impurities in our hearts. It is exactly what God intends when he allows hard things to enter your life. If you're willing to surrender your will and plans to God's perfect will and his plans for your life. He promises you'll gain something much more valuable than gold, and that's Christ-like character. So instead of resisting and trying to pray or plan your way out of the hard things in your life, 
Submit to them and ask God what he wants from you during this time. So when we're in this refining time, as Andy just explained, uh, we sometimes need to confess that we don't know how to give over control. Women, do we have trouble handing control over? Yeah. So many of you know um, that we have adopted two amazing boys. They're young men now, and they are a true blessing. Now, I started praying for them before we actually had our first child, who is now 29. Now, as we entered that adoption process, we prayed and we sought God in each step and every detail. And we knew that God was leading us to adopt internationally and to adopt siblings. And God confirmed that over and over again. I wish I could tell you all of those things, but we don't have time today. Now, our adoption agency challenged us on this. They didn't agree that maybe we should adopt siblings. And uh, I got a little angry, got a little sad, and a little distraught that they were not listening to who? Me. In my quest to control this situation, I really forgot who was ultimately in control and had been leading us all along. I had to confess. I had to confess to God that I didn't know how to hand over this control. And I had to confess to my family as well. I had to humble myself. I had to be quiet. I had to stop making the phone calls and circumventing the people at the agency that I didn't want to talk to. I had to yield that control back to God. He can't fulfill his purpose in you and I in the situation when we don't give him full control. And if you didn't notice, God didn't just bless us with siblings. He blessed us with twins. Um, through this situation, I'm reminded, reminded of an attribute of God. God is faithful, even when I'm not faithful. 1 Corinthians 1.9, God will do this for he is faithful to do what he says, and he has invited you into partnership with his son Jesus, Christ our Lord. The next one is confirm that you're willing to be taught in the midst of trials and don't waste time fretting. Easier said than done, I know. Not too long ago, our family went through an extremely difficult time. Honestly, I didn't know if we were going to make it out in one piece or not. Um, so as that awful season dragged on and on over a period of years, we prayed fervently to be delivered from it. But as time passed and things weren't changing, our prayers went from, God, please deliver us from this terrible situation, to God, please show us what we should be learning in the middle of this. I will admit that there were times I ended that prayer with, and do it quick. <laughs> it is so important to confirm to God and to yourself that you're ready to learn what he has for you and that you can give your worry to him. 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7 states just that. Humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares for you. Pray that the Holy Spirit will use God's word to help you understand who God is. Now, I don't know what losses or pain or burdens that you are carrying this morning, but we can ask the Holy Spirit to teach us as we read the Bible. We can ask him, ask the Holy Spirit to teach us who God is. We learn um, through God's word that he is holy, um, that he hates sin. He's love, perfect, trustworthy, and wise. 
Remember that the Bible is all about God. Sometimes we want the Bible to be all about us. It's for us, but it's really all about God, pointing us to Jesus at every corner. Those of you who come to Bible study, women's Bible study, will hear me quote a Bible teacher, Jen Wilkin. You can't love what you don't know. So we have to prioritize that in our lives. Getting to know God is so important. Learning that God is a refuge. He's a place of safety and protection for his children. In God's word, we learn in Matthew 28 through 30 that we can find rest, refuge in Jesus, that we can hand over those burdens and a heavy load because of what he's done for us. And Matthew 11:28 to 30 says, then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden that I give you is light. Jesus says, come, come to me. He's personally inviting you and I to come and find rest for our souls. Now, Jesus at that time was inviting people who are hurting, who are oppressed, who are severely persecuted. They came knowing that their comfort and um, their sins were being forgiven, and they had this eternal rest. And today, he continues to invite us in. And I wish, man, I wish I could say that once we hand over our burdens and our hurts and our losses, that they'll be gone, that God will just take them. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way in our broken world. But I have learned through the Holy Spirit and his word, through all the heavy and all the hard and all the burdens and all the lonely, that I find eternal rest and comfort in knowing that I have this forever home with Jesus that he has forgiven me and my sins, and he lives in me, and I have hope, no matter how much pain or hardship is going on. Galatians 2.20 says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The next one is remain confident that God allows trials so that you can be more like Jesus. We all know that it does a kid no favors to have a parent who constantly fights their child's battles for them and rescues them from every challenge before they've had a chance to tackle it themselves. It's just not what a good parent does. A good parent cries with their child when they're hurting, helps them learn from it, and then rejoices with their child when they overcome hard things and grow. And that describes our Heavenly Father so perfectly because of the suffering that He allows in our lives is an opportunity for him to move closer to him and to grow in our faith. Now notice that there's a pattern to it. Suffering causes us to trust and know God on a deeper level. The more we trust and know God, the more likely we are to consistently make right choices. And the more we make right choices, that makes us Christians of proven character. And then that character produces in us a new quality, hope. In the context of Romans and the New Testament, hope is confidence that God will deliver what he promised. Romans 5, 3 through 5 sums it up. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Finally, in difficult times, 
think of Jesus and what he did for you. The truth of Jesus and what he did for us really should help us press on in thankfulness in all situations because our hope is found in him. What a beautiful reflection of our identity as image bearers of God, that even in hardship, even in the hard, we can reflect the beauty and the truth of Christ. Now, our problems really fail in comparison to what Jesus did for us. Acts 20, 24, Paul writes, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Now, Paul is going from town to town telling people about Jesus, fully knowing that he's going to be beaten and imprisoned. Paul is such a great example of a persevering and sharing Jesus no matter the cost, no matter the hardship, no matter the bruises or scars. Now, if you were like me years and years ago, I didn't know who Jesus was, and I didn't know what he had done for me. Now, my friend, Melinda Heisel, in her basement bedroom, shared the gospel with me, and she explained that God loved the world so much, and he loved me so much that he sent his his son Jesus to walk this earth and die an awful, painful death for me and for you. He rose on the third day and restored the relationship with God that was broken through his sacrifice and his shed blood. He did this for all of us. The blood that he shed covers our sins so that when we confess our sins, realize our need for a savior and surrender our whole lives to Jesus, we are saved. We are never saved by what we say or what we do or how we define ourselves simply by faith in Jesus Christ, our saving King. And we will live in eternity, worshiping Jesus. There will be no more tears. There will be no more death. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more comparisons. There will be no more lupus. Daughters of the King and men of the King, don't you want your identity firmly in that truth? That is what we mean by image bearers reflecting that truth, like a huge mirror to the world, reflecting what God did for you, sharing the hope that we have in Jesus and our future with him is really how we can glorify him in all the hard stuff that comes our way. So when you feel like you're going to suffocate because of the world's circumstances, focus on the hope found in your future with Jesus. If you haven't accepted Jesus as your savior, please grab Angie or I or a friend near you and we would love to pray with you. It is one of the most important decisions that you will ever, ever make. If you have accepted Jesus as your savior, continue to root yourself in God's word. It's a priority. We should make it a priority. Read his word and learn more about him. Grow in him, reflect him to the world and don't question who you are. Be confident in your true identity as a redeemed and forgiven child of God, an identity that never changes or wavers with the world's winds. Colossians 2, 6, and now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. 
Put those roots down deep, prioritize it, get into God's word, join a Bible study, ask a friend to meet you for coffee and read God's word and ask all the questions. Pray and ask the Holy Spirit to direct you and teach you. Unfortunately, there's no miracle grow for our growth in Jesus. It's a daily walk, a daily investment in him. And as Eugene Peterson says, it's a long obedience in the same direction. Now, for those of you here today who are struggling, our hope and prayer was to give you some biblical and practical steps that you can take to help you move forward and to strengthen your faith as you walk through your trial. Please know that you have a Heavenly Father who loves you and promises to walk this path with you regardless of how difficult it may be or however long it'll take. Remember, if the cross didn't overwhelm Jesus, surely our problems and trials won't. I'm going to close us in prayer, um, but before we do that, let's take a moment to just practice being the church. If you are going through a difficult time right now, whether it's your health, your job, your home life, your relationships, or any kind of trial, um, please stay seated, and I'd love everyone else to stand up. If there is someone seated near you, either put your hand on them or reach out towards them. We don't have to know what they're going through to pray for them because our Heavenly Father knows exactly what's going on. Let's take a moment to pray for those in our midst who are struggling and lift them up and feel free to move. there are those of us in this room who feel like they have a hundred tons of weight hanging over their heads right now. They are exhausted, stressed, and overwhelmed, and they need you now more than ever. Help them to safely anchor themselves to you. Show them their true identity as your image bearer and as your child. Open their eyes to see you. Open their ears to hear your voice. Open their hearts to you and to others to receive help support and love. Replace their distress with peace and their weakness with your power. Allow them to boldly trust that you are in control and remind them that they are not. Give them encouragement to press on and strength to endure. Um, for those of us standing, thank you for the current peace in the storm that life can be. In everything that we do, we ask for your guidance and we pray that when others look at us, they will see you. We trust you, we love you, and our hope is in you. Thank you for the love you lavished on us through the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his precious name we pray, amen.